This is an ABC podcast. Hey there, Ange McCormack with you for the Hack Podcast. The federal budget is here. If you don't know what the budget is or why you should care, stay with me in this episode. Basically, it's pretty much the government's plan for how it wants to spend all of our money. It affects all of us because it sets out things like health spending, what it wants to do with climate change, housing, everything. In this episode, we're here to explain it all. And later in the show, we'll speak to the guy who's in charge of it, the treasurer. So we'll find out what's in the budget for you, young people. First, though, here's what some young people thought about the budget earlier. Every day I'm hustling, 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 hustling. I suppose you can't eat money, so so maybe, uh, you know, cheaper food for poorer people. I think that there definitely needs to be more money for housing crisis. Obviously, that's a big thing at the moment, I think, especially where I am. Give less money to people that won't go to work. Maybe, like, spend the money on the, like, environment too. Oh, disability. I have a cousin who's disabled, so I'd, I'd like to see more along the lines of that. Yeah, definitely. Maybe towards, like, you know, homeless people. Um, because, like, in the city right now, like, homelessness is, like, increasing as the city is growing. So, yeah, um, money towards housing and homelessness, yeah. Um, also, more money for, like, Indigenous services and domestic violence services and things like that. On Triple Jack. Yeah, that's what some of you were hoping for. So what was actually in Labor's first federal budget in almost 10 years? It came out last night and our political expert, Shalila Medora in Canberra, spent hours yesterday afternoon and evening going through all the budget papers to find out what it means for you. Before we get into the budget properly, we need to address the elephant in the room. Why the hell is everything so expensive at the moment? It's because of inflation, the increase in the price of goods and services. And right now, Australia's rate of inflation is the highest it's been in 30 years. And it's getting worse. Australians are staring down the barrel of galloping inflation, set to peak at nearly 8% in December. But wages remain relatively stagnant and workers aren't expected to feel any real relief until 2024 at the earliest. And that is the backdrop to everything in this budget. So there's not a whole lot outside of the election promises Labor has already made. The biggest one of those promises for young people is a massive amount of funding for unis and TAFE. We welcomed the 20,000 university places brought forward by the Albanese Labor government. There's extra spots at uni to put on courses in areas of skill shortages and 480,000 free TAFE courses, 180,000 in the next year alone. Australia is beset by a workforce crisis and the strategies uh, and funding that's been provided tonight will uh, help alleviate that crisis. Priority for those spaces will go to underrepresented groups, First Nations students, students with a disability and rural and regional students. The president of the National Union of Students, Georgie Beattie, says that's a good start in making higher education more equitable. Universities shouldn't be places of elitism and only for the wealthy. The government's put aside money for a referendum on the Indigenous voice to Parliament. There's $99 million to bring down the incarceration rate for Aboriginal Australians and money for the Human Rights Commission to tackle racism. We do have that investment in the commitment on the Uluru Statement from the Heart and, importantly, a commitment to an anti-racism strategy. There's a new housing agreement, or accord, between the Feds and the states and territories, which aims to build a million new homes, though the Feds have only provided the funds for 10,000. 
and there's another pot of money to help build 20,000 social houses. What's really important is that this accord is actually going to significantly increase that supply, which is badly needed. But those commitments won't start for a while. What if you're struggling to make ends meet now? Here's Greens leader Adam Bant. There's nothing in this budget that'll address the rental crisis that is happening now. We've got people living in their cars because they can't afford the rent. Here's why that's important. In among the spending measures and programs, there were dire predictions about the cost of living. The cost of housing is going to go up whether you rent or have a mortgage. And electricity prices are expected to skyrocket by more than 50% in the next 18 months. Opposition leader Peter Dutton says the government needs to do more to help people on low incomes. So for people on fixed incomes, pensioners, self-funded retirees, they are really, really copying it in this budget. High cost of living hits everyone hard, but especially those on low incomes. There's no increase to JobSeeker, youth allowance or rental assistance. JobSeeker is still $48 per day. Uh, For a young person, it is $38 per day. And we do not have in this budget what's needed to lift people out of poverty. And with all that financial stress ahead, you're thinking there's got to be more money to help people's mental health, right? Well, there's a little for new headspace centres and for telehealth in the regions, but that's about it. And the policy that doubled the number of Medicare-subsidised mental health sessions from 10 to 20 that came in during COVID, that's going to end in December. I'm concerned that the government and others think of healthy Australians as causing a cost and really health is an investment. So you might be asking yourself, why doesn't the government just step up and give people money to help them make ends meet? As economist Angela Jackson told ABC TV... Doing that could actually make matters worse. Wages are going down, prices are going up, but because of inflation, uh, if they provide us those sort of, you know, that that stimulus payments that we've had in the past through the GFC uh, that really got us through and and through the COVID-19 pandemic, that's just going to add to inflation. Hack on Triple J. Shalila Medora with that explainer and big thanks to Shalila for her political knowledge and guiding us through all those numbers. On the Triple J text line, Josh and Fitzroy, you say, why do we need to start every conversation about the budget by asking what's in it for me? I don't really think that all Australians are so entitled and selfish that all they care about is what's in it for them. What about what about those that are really disadvantaged? Interesting point. Shalila just gave us a really broad overview of the budget, but let's take a closer look at what's in this budget for all of you who live in regional and rural Australia. Our Tassie reporter, April McLennan, has been looking at that specifically. April, what's in this budget for young people in the bush? Well, Ange, there's a lot to unpack, but some of the main things are money for first-home buyers. About $2.4 billion will go towards MBN. People studying teaching who commit to working in the regions will be given about $12,000. And one big thing in the budget for those living in rural and regional areas is access to psychiatry services. The federal government says they're putting more than $47 million towards restoring bulk-billed telehealth psychiatry services services for rural and regional patients. Now, this service was actually cut by the previous government in December last year, and it's impacted patients outside major metropolitan areas. We had absolutely no warning that the previous government were going to um, just delete this access uh, for patients who have profound and enduring mental health problems. They were suddenly, and I mean suddenly, overnight left without any access to a psychiatrist. That's Annette Pham. 
She's the director at Shoalhaven Family Medical Centre. It's on the south coast of New South Wales. Annette says without getting money back from Medicare, psychiatrists were forced to pass the cost on to patients and it was something a lot of people couldn't afford. These are people who have profound impacts from their mental health problems and they are relying on the psychiatrists for their treatment, for their medications and there are medications the GP can prescribe that can only be prescribed by the psychiatrist. Patients, people who lost their access to a psychiatrist really were very badly done by and yes I'm sure some parts of the country people would have lost their lives. She says many psychiatrists stopped providing the telehealth service once it was cut from Medicare. It has been very tragic. We've had very desperate patients, we've had desperate families. Our GPs have been very upset because, you know, while they are, you know, they do have quite a lot of knowledge about mental health, they're not the experts. As I just said, the Labor government's restoring this service from the start of next month. But here's the thing. It's actually super hard to even see a psychiatrist in the first place. 17-year-old Dakota Cashin from Lutrawitta, Tasmania, experienced this firsthand. Earlier this year, she sought help from her GP because she was struggling with disordered eating. But she ended up having to wait about 10 months to see a psychiatrist. Until I actually did hear back from the psychiatrist, it was like constantly thinking like, oh my God, I have an eating disorder, like that's what I've got. It, yeah, it's a, it was a tough gig for that while there in between, yeah, hearing the doctor say that that's what she thought it was and then to actually getting properly diagnosed. And once she got in, it was really expensive. Dakota says she's still paying back a family member who loaned her some cash. It was a $140 doctor's appointment because it took apparently so long, even though it was about 30 minutes, not even. And then it cost 650 for the psychiatrist and then another 160 for the doctor's appointment to for the treatment plan. So, but I was definitely freaking out considering I'm I'm 17, like I'm I'm not great with money yet. The president of the Royal Australian and New Zealand College of Psychiatrists, Vinay Lakra, says there's a shortage of psychiatrists right around the country, which kind of explains why the wait lists are so freaking long. Not only that psychiatry is in short supply, but also that there is uh, uneven distribution of psychiatrists in across Australia. So we know that certain parts of uh, major cities have more psychiatrists and certain parts have less. And I think uh, the numbers kind of dwindle down when we move to uh, regional and rural and remote uh, areas. He's stoked the government's going to restore the bulk bill telehealth services because it means that psychiatrists in metropolitan areas can actually talk to people living regionally via Zoom or Skype calls. But Vinay thinks that this should be offered to people living in big cities too. This rural regional bulk billing incentive, we would encourage the government that similar incentive should be available to all Australians if they are in a financial difficult situation. For example, if they are on a healthcare card or if they are on some sort of pension or if they are unemployment benefit, that they should be able to uh, use an, a bulk billing incentive to access help. Hack on Triple J. April McLennan reporting there. And if that story did raise anything for you, call Lifeline on, what, on 13 11 14. On the Triple J text line, someone says, I work as a psychologist and 10 sessions is just not enough to help people recover from the psychological impacts the pandemic has caused. 
Keep your texts coming, 0439 75 7555. There's heaps to talk about, so let's go straight to the top and ask the Treasurer, Jim Chalmers, about this budget and what it means for you. Treasurer Jim, Treasurer Jim Chalmers, thanks so much for speaking with me on Triple J. Thanks for the opportunity, Ange. Treasurer, what's in this budget for young people? Well, a combination of things. You know, we've been very uh, attuned uh, to uh, the, the, how, lo- how tough life is for younger Australians in particular right now, dealing with these cost of living pressures. Uh, and what we've tried to do is to make really important targeted investments uh, in things like uh, fee-free TAFE, uh, more university places, uh, taking climate change seriously with our Powering Australia plan, but the big new thing in the budget, which I think is especially relevant to younger Australians, is we know that vacancy rates are really low when it comes to rental properties and rents are really high and it's harder and harder to live near where the job opportunities are. And so we've got this new housing accord, which is all about working with superannuation and other investors, working with the states and working with the building industry to build more affordable rental properties and we hope that that will make a real difference to young people. Yeah, you raised that rents are really high, vacancy rates are really low. It's tough out there as a renter, as a young person today. On that housing measure that you've announced in this budget, it's only going to start in 2024 building these homes. Um, It's going to take years to build them. What's in this budget to ease those rental pressures today? My listeners can't afford their rents as it is. Yeah, well, two things about that. I mean, first of all, the 2024 start date is because the industry's got uh, labour shortages and building material costs are really high and there's already a pipeline of building. And so in speaking with the industry, uh, where that uh, where there begins to become space in the building and construction industries around 2024. Uh, but you're right uh, that we need to provide support in the near term as well. Uh, And what happens when inflation is as high as it is right now, uh, that flows through to payments uh, that people are on. And we've also supported uh, a minimum wage increase for the lowest paid workers. So younger workers, uh, many of them are getting a pay rise because of uh, our support for a minimum wage rise. And in the budget, there's about $33 billion in extra payments. And that recognises that when the cost of living is skyrocketing as it is right now, Uh, payments need to keep up. Treasurer, you've called this budget a wellbeing budget and the most pressing thing that Triple J listeners tell us about their wellbeing is the state of their mental health. Suicide rates are as high as ever. Wait lists for psychologists can be months. It's grim. How does your budget address the youth mental health crisis? Well, there's a substantial investment in mental health uh, in the budget and one of the things that we're proudest of, frankly, uh, is that at a time where we've got really high debt and we've got these big deficits in the budget, we were able to trim spending elsewhere to make room for uh, big investments in healthcare, including in mental health, because we do understand. And, and what, what, is the, what is the spending on youth mental health specifically? Because as far as I can see in the budget, there's um, money for three new headspace centres. It's about $23 million. Is, is that a significant measure? Oh, well, that's obviously important, those headspace measures, but that's not the beginning and the end of uh, what we're committing in mental health more broadly. I'm happy to dig that number out for you. Um, but there's big investments in mental health as an extension uh, of some of these programs, as you rightly identify, and that's important. And we've made room for that in the budget. We understand 
that uh, there's a lot of mental health pressure, particularly on young people. People think that's solely about COVID. It's not. It's a long-standing challenge in our community. Mm. I see it in my own local. Well, yeah, let's go there. What are the me- the measures to ease mental health pressures on young people? Because, as I said, my listeners are waiting weeks, sometimes months, for a psychologist. Yeah, well, I'm just um, happy to dig that out for you, Ange. Uh, we made some big investments in mental health, as I said, and uh, I'll find that for you, and I'll make sure. But it doesn't sound like it's at the top business. of the of your agenda, Treasurer. Well, of course it is. I mean, of course it is. And my job is to find the money to fund substantial investments in healthcare, including in mental health, and that's what I've done. I guess just back to my my, my question, and I'm only labouring on this because my listeners are very concerned about this one. Um, The wait list for psychologists, the high levels of distress among young people, all I'm really seeing is three extra new headspace centres. Am I wrong in, in my reading of the budget? There is much more mental health funding than the new headspace centres, but we shouldn't diminish the role of those headspace What is the funding, either. though, Treasurer? What is it? Well, I said, as I said to you, I'm happy to dig those numbers out for you and provide them to your listeners. Um, I don't have them in front of me right now, uh, but I do know uh, that there's big investments in mental health. Uh, as I understand it, something like $23.5 million I, I just, I just, four years. Yeah, that's for the, the, the headspace centres that I've just mentioned. Yeah, and that's an important beginning, uh, but also uh, broader funding for mental health as part of uh, $6 billion in new investments in healthcare more broadly. That's healthcare more broadly, but mental health, I, I, I keep coming back to this though, because three new headspace centres and $23 million, you said at the start of, of your answer that, that it's substantial funding for youth mental but that's health. Not the but, total, but that's not the total funding for mental health services is the point that I'm making. Yes, we're proud of those new investments in headspace, uh, but that's not, the, that's not the only funding that goes to mental health. The point that but this I'm is making, the only new funding that we've got. There is substantial funding for mental health services, and I mean, that, that's important. We've always seen that as important. That's a priority for us, and that's why we've made room for it. Treasurer, something that can make your health and mental health worse is financial stress. There's no increase to New Start or youth allowance in this budget beyond inflation. There's nothing extra for rent assistance. Why not? Uh, well, there's about uh, $10 billion in uh, increases to JobSeeker, for example, um, and that's because when inflation is as high as it is, uh, then those payments are indexed. And I know that people have legitimate views about increasing those payments. Uh, my job is to only commit to what we can reasonably afford, uh, but there is an increase in those payments in the budget, uh, a total of $33 billion in extra payments, and about a third of that is JobSeeker. Will, the, will the, the base rate of those payments, New Start and, and JobSeeker, which, by the way, you know, $46 a day on JobSeeker, um, $38 a day for youth allowance, sorry, um, will, will those base rates go up beyond inflation? I think it's reasonable to expect that they will go up with inflation, but anything beyond that under your government? Not in the budget that I released yesterday, no. How are people on welfare meant to get by? Meanwhile, um, electricity prices are going up 56%, gas prices are up 44%. Is it reasonable to ask someone on welfare to get by on 40 bucks a day? Well, they're not being asked to get by on on $40 a day, but I understand your broader point. It was $38 for youth allowance. I understand your broader point, uh, which is uh, ideally... Uh, you'd provide as much support as you can for people who are on low and fixed incomes. Uh, The indexation of those payments is important. And I know that people would like it to be more than that, 
um, but the indexation of those payments is really important because it factors in increases in costs like electricity. Treasurer, there's a fair bit in this budget on trying to plug skills shortages through extra uni and TAFE spots. But researchers found that young people will basically study whatever they want, regardless of these sort of initiatives. Do you have a backup plan? Well, we've got a whole range of things that we want to do in education. You know, we've got 20,000 new university places directed particularly towards uh, disadvantaged students. We've got those fee-free TAFE places. We're, op- we're more optimistic than it sounds like you are about the capacity to shift the needle there. But also we're trying to reform and change the system so that we're training people for the opportunities that emerge. We've actually got a pretty bright future ahead of us when it comes to the care economy, when it comes to the digital economy and when it comes to some of the other areas. And so we want to make sure that the skill system is responsive to that. Fee-free TAFE places is a big part of that. Uh, more university places is a big part of that, uh, and there's other work we're doing too. You're also in- incentivising people to get into teaching. It's a really interesting idea. But what what our listeners have told us is that the real issue in schools right now is the teachers that are really burnt out, that are quitting in droves. What initiatives are there to keep the teachers that we've got? Well, I, I agree with you that retention's a big issue, and in my own community, when you knock around schools as much as I do, you understand that Uh, You can get teachers into the industry and one of the the big jobs is keeping them. Uh, There's a couple of hundred million dollars from memory for uh, investment in teacher quality. There's a couple of hundred million dollars in the budget for wellbeing in schools, you know, trying to make sure that that we're investing in uh, kind of more resilient, more robust people in schools. Um, And, you know, if there are other things that my colleagues think are a good idea when it comes to retention, obviously we'll consider that too. Treasurer, we're out of time, but thanks so much for speaking with me on Hack. Appreciate it, Angela. All the best. Hack on Triple J. On the Triple J text line, lots of you are having your say. Max in Sydney, you say, as a trainee clinical psych, it's really disheartening to see so little extra investment into mental health. Headspace only covers very low-risk patients and turns away many people. Someone else says, I'm 23, work full-time hours and have been homeless for five months thanks to the rental crisis. How long until we see some relief? And someone else says, the government can't just wave a magic wand and train psychologists and psychiatrists who take upwards of five to seven years to train. Uh, let's get some political analysis and economic analysis on this. Danielle Wood is an economist. She's a CEO of the Grattan Institute. Danielle, what did you make of the Treasurer's comments just there, particularly around youth mental health spending? Uh, look, I think uh, the Treasurer has had a pretty challenging job putting this budget together. Um, he's he's very keen to push the line that they're being responsible on spending and, and they do need to be responsible on spending. There are some, um, you know, pretty challenging days ahead and they don't want to add to inflation. But, you know, what that's meant is, you know, clearly there are some areas. Um, so the mental health spending is one. Um, you also pointed at job seeker and, and youth allowance, which is another one that just, you know, frankly um, screams out <laughs> as in desperate need of attention um, where they, they haven't, moved, even though there is a strong case for doing more. Yeah, and broadly, I guess if we look at how the budget has um, or hasn't catered to young people, what's your view? Is this a budget for young people? Uh, look, I think there are, I mean, you've sort of talked with the Treasurer about the, the sort of the education and skills measures. I mean, I do think those are really important and, you know, they, they tend to 
um, benefit young people. Um, the housing point is an interesting one. Um, so that housing accord that's being spoken about um, does have the potential to make a big difference in the longer term. Uh, there wasn't that much detail and I'd certainly like to see a lot more policy work around how that's actually going to work to increase supply of housing in the broader market. Uh, but even even if that is successful, obviously that's sort of a, a few years down the track. Um, you know, we had been advocating for a long time for an increase in rent assistance to help um, those that are most vulnerable in the private market because we know that um, rent assistance just has not kept up with with the pace of, of rents. So, uh, that you know, it was disappointing to me that that, that measure wasn't there to, to help people in the here and now. Mm, yeah, because that, that measure is, is more of a, a forward-looking um, project. You know, some of the houses won't be finished until 2029. I guess you're saying that there, wa- there wasn't a lot in this budget for um, the short term and the day-to-day that everyone, but especially young people, are struggling with right now, including the cost of living and inflation. That's right. So there were there was sort of very little in the way of um, you know measures to help with the cost of living. Uh, I have sympathy for the treasurer because you know it is true that um, if the government pumped a whole lot of money in to the economy right now, that would add to the inflationary challenge. So it, it can sort of make <laughs> make things worse. It sort of helps in the short term, but you actually end up making things worse. So he was trying to walk a line. Um, you know, there's a debate about whether some targeted support, particularly on rent assistance, I think, um, might have been justified given the the challenges that we know that people on really low incomes are facing. Mm, yeah, I don't think anyone is um, envious of Jim Chalmers' uh, job with this budget that's in, in front of him. Um, you're listening to Hack on Triple J. I'm Ange McCormack. I'm speaking with Danielle Wood from the Grattan Institute. We're talking about Labor's first federal budget in this government. Um, Danielle, the government's predicting pretty bleak times ahead, as we've been talking about, but especially so with energy prices. Ele- electricity is going to be predicted to be up 56%, gas up 44%. And the PM and the government today have been hinting at market intervention. Do, do we have a sense of what that could look like and do we need it? Uh, so, yes, we need it. Um, you know, those sort of price increases are you know, pretty challenging to even get your head around what that looks like and, you know, anyone that <laughs> pays their own energy bill, if you sort of uh, start to run the numbers on that, it's a pretty a pretty painful exercise. Um, so I think they will have to, to move. Um what I think probably the right answer is, is there is um, various mechanisms that they have in place at the moment, um, which is about trying to get enough gas supply into the system. Um, they could tweak that to c- try and contain the price at the, the same time working through the ACCC, the competition regulator. So effectively what that would be doing is putting a lid on the price of gas that would then flow through to the price of electricity as well. Um, and, you know, yes, so the companies involved will, will scream and we'll hear about, you know, investment risk and things like that. But, you know, frankly, you could set it at a level where they'd still be making a very nice return, but you're, you know, cutting off those extremely high prices that are being impacted at the moment by global conditions, which are just simply flowing through to, to very, very high 
profits for those companies. Overall, Danielle, how do you think this budget sets Australians up for the next little while? Because I know a lot of my listeners will be feeling kind of worried about what it, what it's going to be like with these rising costs of living pressures and not seeing a lot of relief in the budget for them. Does the future look bleak, okay, good? What's your, what's your analysis? Look, um, I... It is extremely challenging, I think, for the next year or so. And I, um, you know, absolutely appreciate how people are feeling about that when you see the sort of numbers on price rises and uh, it, it, it is, is pretty stressful. Um, inflation will come under control. Um, so, uh, you know, what the budget does suggest is that, you know, by the, the following year after that, by 2024, um, we will see real incomes growing again, you know, wages growing faster than, than price levels. Um, economic growth should should pick up again. So, look, there is better news on the horizon. None of that takes away from the fact that, you know, people are feeling the squeeze right now. Um, but I think, you know, the, the budget did a reasonably good job um, of, you know, what was quite a difficult line to walk in an economic sense for a, for a new treasurer. I'm really glad to end on a, a slight silver lining there. It's good to see because it's been a pretty grim reading today. But Danielle Wood, thanks so much for your time today. Thanks for having me, Ange. Hack on Triple J. That was Danielle Wood there from the Grattan Institute. That's all we have time for in today's episode. But I do want to let you know that we'll be covering a really important story on Hack's podcast tomorrow. You may have seen news about the death of Cassius Turvey. He was a 15-year-old Aboriginal boy in Perth, WA, and he died after allegedly being beaten with a metal pole when he was walking home from school. Police have charged a 21-year-old man with his murder. There's been an outpouring of grief. Tomorrow we'll bring you really important coverage on that story. Until then, thanks for listening and we'll see you then.